Hello friends, welcome to the show. My name is Tom Broback and my guest today is Matt Hale. Matt is a teacher and coach at Abbott ISD in Central Texas. He teaches all levels of PE and coaches volleyball, cross country, basketball, and track and field. I talked to Matt how he sets up systems to be successful at a smaller school size and the lessons he has learned along the way in his coaching career. Check out Matt on Twitter at Coach Hale. Make sure you share this episode with a coach who works at a smaller school. Let's get on with the show. I'll back up and tell you that's I coach girls primarily at a small school teaching and coaching. You're going to have to be adaptable and you're going to do all of it. You're going to have to coach a little bit of girls. You're going to have to coach some of the boys at all ages. Um, but I'm primarily a female coach there. And that's how it Mason, who's in, who's in eighth grade, okay, 14 years ago, when I applied for the job here, he was a newborn. And that was my only request. You know, and basically I was in a spot at that point in time um, where I just needed to get a foot in the door teaching and coaching somewhere. Um, I literally opened up Google Maps. Um, I had just applied for an alternate certification program because it wasn't the original route that I took and then made a a mile span of all the schools that were around me and applied for all of them. Um, Anyways, this Abbott was one of the ones that called me and I said in the interview and I don't know, they gave me a chance to talk or ask questions or introduce myself. And I just basically told them I need a foot in the door. Um, here's what I have to offer, but I don't want to coach football because in Texas, it's, I mean, it's like a religion here, I guess, really country. It's like that seven days a week, you know, it's a lot of time. And that he was our first child. And I didn't, I didn't, I just didn't want to do that. You know, um, I wanted to be able to be a dad in the right way, starting off, uh, with our first one. Um, and then they, so they said, okay, well, we have we have a, a girls position open. And at that time I had never given two thoughts about coaching girls and it kind of just caught me off guard. And I was sitting there like, uh, sure. You know, I mean, just took it. And I've been coaching girls ever since. So it, it, that's kind of how my coaching and teaching, uh, experience started. So When I first started working with athletes, I just kind of based it off what I experienced growing up. And a lot of that was training for football. And then um, I did some basketball and track growing up too, but it was always like, it was never in mixed company. So it was always, it was always boys and we always had male coaches. So when I first started coaching females, it was just new, but I just, I just noticed that females, they work just as hard. They listen probably better than boys and they have so much potential in strength and conditioning because typically they haven't had a lot of exposure to it. How has your experience been coaching females, working with females and and, and doing that? It's, it's the same. I have a good friend of mine that actually worked here at Abbott. He's moved on. He's an athletic director, um, down the road. Um, but he worded it to me really well early in my career. He said with, with male athletes, especially in Texas with football, um, in the weight room, you have to, like, it's, it's just part of it. Right. Um, but 
the weight room, or let's just not say the weight room, just strength and conditioning in general um, with females can be a massive advantage um, because I've seen, I've seen some programs with, if they're with the girl side that don't, that don't even go in the weight room. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and I'm not saying there's a lot of different ways to do things now. And there's a lot of different philosophies and stuff like that. Um, but it's part, it's, it's part of our identity and just mentally what we get out of the weight room, I think is a big deal for our female athletes. Um, and yes, like girls and I was just telling our junior high group this morning, um, I was ranting about the boys a little bit. My, my son's a part of a, a group that's massively talented, his class. And when you have a small school and you get one class that's loaded, it's a big deal, right? you know, you, because you, you take all of them and then you sport, when you get up in the high school, you pair them with three other classes and you can just dominate. But the girls, just like you said, are, are a lot more attention to detail. Um, it's a little bit easier, I think, to um, to gain their trust and get and get them to listen, just like you talked about. And it's just the nature of a, of a male versus a female. You know, by nature, guys just want to go. I know this because <laughs> yeah. I'm one. I mean, they right. just want to go. Like, give me a ball. I don't care if it's round or oval or small or big, and let's just go. Um, but I tell my son all the time also, at some point in time in high school when bodies develop, um, and, and this is true with girls too, because I, I just graduated a group last year that was physically above average, athletically and physically above average. And in junior high, they just dominated everybody, you know, uh, and that's, that can be a, a curse at such an early age because, mm-hmm. you know, puberty and bodies grow and, and high school things start to level out a little bit. Um, And at some point in time, if you want to extend your seasons as far as you possibly can, at some point in time, things are going to start lining up. You know, talent is going to line up. Um, Athleticism is going to line up. Mm -hmm. And and at some point in time, you got to ask yourself, like, what's going to be the difference? You know, when you when you meet up against a team like that, what's going to be the difference then? I tell them all the time, it's not going to be me. Their coach is not going to outcoach me. <laughs> he may be smarter than me. He may be whatever, more talented as a coach, but he's not going to be more prepared. And I'm not going to be the one that's going to lose the battle. So, um, the, yeah, girls, they're, they're more attention to detail. I think they're, from my experience, coaching both. Um, they listen a little bit better, a little bit faster. Not to say that guys don't, but by nature, that they're different. Um, and I think girls are a little bit easier to, uh, and I'm an attention to teach detail guy. That's just, I can't, I, I tell my wife and people close to me sometimes there's sometimes I wish I could turn that off, you know, and just, and just relax and live. But when you're attention to detail, you're real sensitive to everything. And, 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 and that's, yeah. So I would just say that, but they're a little bit easier to get to, um, to pay attention to the details, be intent with things. You know, that's a word that we've been using a lot lately. I asked our junior high girls what it was. and We talked about it, what being intent is. And um, so, yeah. What is your definition of intent and how do you use that in your practices, in your training with your athletes to get better performance? Uh, To me, intent is just being 
it's putting 100% mental and physical focus on whatever you're trying to do. Mm, I like that. And, yeah. And I think that it, it's physical fatigue is normal. And I think that that's something that everybody can tr- relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, but not a lot of programs can really relate to being mentally tired consistently. Um, and I think it's important, but I also think you got to be careful, especially at a small school, whenever you're, um, the kids are doing everything that's, you know, I've, we've talked a little bit just through social media and stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. um, it, our situation here at Abbott, our kids do everything. And, you know, we've with record rank and publish, um, whenever we're doing our speed work, we're sticking the cones out there. Um, we're coming, we, you know, with the way logistically that we have to do it, I'm not a fan of it, but if we're going to, we had to fit in all this stuff and to be, to do everything well, especially in the spring, um, we have to put a lot into it. So now I have to start really analyzing, um, is there a point of diminishing returns with all this stuff that we're doing? You know, is it mentally fatiguing to a point where it's, it's affecting performance? Um, and so, yeah, I would say a hundred percent focus physically and mentally would be my definition of intent. Um, but in our setting, we got to be careful, just like I just said, um, because in the spring we have, we've had, we've, I think we're in our fourth year of softball. We just, that, that's something new. You know, prior to that, it was it was just track on the girl side. Now, the guys have baseball and they've had baseball. Um, so now in the spring, we have two core sports that are trying to perform at an extremely high level at the same time. <laughs> you know, and you have one like with the nature of track that can be physically demanding a little bit. Um, it makes it tough. Um, so I tell them all the time, the way here's why to, to put it easy. I told the junior high girls this morning. Um, that to be intent, a good example is I would rather have, I would rather have, and this kind of feeds into the, like the feed the cats or the point of diminishing return. I would rather have kids, and this is an extreme example, but I'd rather have them for 30 minutes with maximum intent Mm -hmm. than two hours of just going through the motions. Um, and like I said, that's an extreme, you know, obviously I want to practice longer than 30 minutes, but that's true. And I would, it's so easy when you're doing a lot of things as a coach, as an athlete, just as a human to just caught up in, into going in the motions. That's easy. And it's not very mentally fatiguing. How long do you think an athlete can lock in for a practice? What's like an ideal range for like a middle school, high school athlete to completely lock in and, and give full intent. Like you, in our setting or just yes, in general? in your setting. Uh, I've talked about this a lot and it, it I think it varies a little bit mm-hmm. uh, from group to group. Um, and people may disagree, but I think it's roughly about an hour and 15 minutes. Okay. So about 75. Time. Yep. That's, that's my opinion. I've, I've had some groups in the past and you'll have, you'll have, individual kids within the group you know that that are that can go longer and maybe you have a couple 
that that, that can't even sustain it that long. One of the right. greatest, probably the greatest athlete I've ever coached here. She graduated last year. Her threshold wasn't even that long. It was man, 45 minutes or so, and you're losing her. Right. Um, so I would say about right in there from my experience here. And how often in the past and then compared to the present, did you go well beyond that time frame? <laughs> I know, yeah, that's a good question because in the past we would go whatever my agenda was, you know, it was whatever I felt like we needed to do. And I was very hard headed. Um, in the past, I would go past it a lot, you know, just for the, the, the nature of what I told you a, a little while ago, that we run one sport directly into the next and they overlap each other. There's nothing mm -hmm. in, um, and with somebody that's, that really wants to get kids the best opportunity to succeed and to, to get the program to perform at a high level. Um, that was one of the hardest things that to do is to dial back, but that's one of the key things I, I, I've really started. And this is before I heard, you know, the, the idea of less is more and all that, but my, my gut and my experience and just attention to what was going on was telling me that. You know, and, and it was probably about four or five years ago that I really cognitively, you know, sensed that and, and applied it. And it's been drastic for everything, you know, with, with less time, our, our reps are better. Our focus is better. Um, the kids and obviously enjoy it more. Um, my family enjoys it more when I'm home, you know, I've got three biological kids and I've got one that we're in the process of adopting overseas. So the more that I can be present, obviously at home is a good thing. Um, yeah. And it just puts more of a sense of urgency with what you're planning and what you're doing and, and how you do it and with the energy levels that you do it. Um, so yeah, it's from for a long time in the past, I had no awareness of, of time. You know, I had an agenda, what we wanted to do today. And I didn't, I, I didn't budge off of it, whether it took two hours, three hours. And, and that was a mistake in my opinion. Too often, whether it's in sports or in fitness, we give a time frame. you know, an hour, two hours, hour and a half. And then we ask, how do we fill that time frame with the things we need to do instead of making our priorities you know, are we working on speed? Are we working on power? Are we working on strength? Are we going to be outside? Are we inside? You know, things like that. And then having the confidence of, you know what, this took 40 minutes today, but we got everything accomplished, but you can go home or, Hey, this took a little longer than usual, but we had more time to go over technique, talk to each other, catch up. That's okay. And not having time be the Holy grail when we are trying to program for our athletes in our in our training and in our season right i just think having a little bit of empathy and trying to put yourself on the other side of it as much as possible really helps you with that you know i think about uh growing up and how i was an athlete um and then i relate that to the other side where i'm at now coaching and i think if you're in tune with that and you're sensitive to it, you can figure a lot of things out. 
Um, I ask myself all the time in the last probably 45 years is, is where I don't ask myself, but I try to, you know, put myself in their position. And is this a program that I would want to be a part of, you know, would I be feeling like I've been here too long or is it, you know, are we past the point of diminishing returns? And right. yeah, so that's things that I've constantly had to keep asking myself um, through this transition. Uh, it it's, it's been a game changer. I mean, with just our success and, and a lot of, a lot of a program success comes to the energy of the coach, I think. <laughs> And I think a lot of coaches can run themselves into the ground. And whenever you can't, you know, lead people where you want them to go from an energy standpoint, then that's not good. What do you do to maintain a consistent higher level of energy throughout a season and from year to year? Take naps. <laughs> naps are no, good. I, yeah. Love I, it. Honestly, that's one of the things I try to do. Okay. I, if I can grab, you know, just a little bit of sleep during the middle of the day, it, it helps. Um, try to get to bed on time, which is hard for me. I've gotten a lot better at it as I've gotten older, but I'm a night owl. Um, I, I just am always have been. I like that's when I do a lot of listening or reading. Um, but I try to just sleep. I sleep is obviously from a, coaching standpoint or an athlete standpoint is so so very critical um and it's probably the often most overlooked thing from an athlete standpoint i know when i was an athlete i was not good at getting the sleep i needed to get but now as you get older and you see how it affects the human body it's it's important but yeah i try to take naps um from year to year and i think it's tony holler or somebody has said mentioned this Looking at my programs, I don't really look what we, we can add from year to year. Right. I mean, obviously, if we can add things that are beneficial, I'm going to do it. But usually when I'm winding down, analyzing how well I did or how well our program did, I'm usually trying to see what we can take away. Um, because I, the practice is overrated i've heard somebody say that it's it's, <laughs> it's necessary it's right. very necessary but i think it's overrated i think health um focus and energy levels are should be prioritized a little bit higher than just practicing um and when i've dialed things back um and in in the process we've done less at practice and we covered less things but the kids perform better on performance days. Um, and I, I call me crazy, but I think that's what we're going for is the, is the game day or the performance day. So just dialing things back. I try to get naps and try to pay real close attention to a good sleep habits. Um, but it's hard. I'm telling you at a small school, that's the hardest thing that I run into. And you probably, if anybody that follows me on social media, probably thinks I'm an idiot because all I do is ask <laughs> question after question after question. I'm constantly wanting to learn, see how other people do things. Um, and a lot of times that this will strike conversations up with other coaches and we'll get, you know, a message, a private message thread going. And they're like, coach, well, you, you've pretty much answered all the questions that you just asked. Well, yeah, but like, I, I just like to hear a way other people say it 
the way they do it, you know, their method. And a lot of times it's just a different word or a different cue that makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. When I first joined Twitter, I didn't ask any questions because I didn't want to look uh, ignorant or, or, or stupid or silly. And I always like had an answer for somebody. But then recently I've been asking more questions, even if they're simple questions like, how long do you do this exercise for? Or how often do you do this, you know, throughout the course of a week? Or what is your reasoning for timing sprints? Like things like that. And like you said, if they just answer it in a different way than you've heard before, you're going to learn so much from it. And I think Twitter is an absolute perfect medium to learn from other coaches that you might never interact with due to location differences or or timing and things like that. So I agree with you. I think if you are willing to appear as not the expert, you will become the expert because you learn so much from so many different people simply by asking those questions and be willing to learn and try something different. Yeah, for sure. What I've found about most of the uh, speed guys or uh, speaking power guys or even strength and conditioning on Twitter is most of them are extremely helpful. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when I, when I first caught wind of um, the, the, the idea of feed the cats, let me back up and say like Tony gets a lot of flack. And I think that's just because of the way he likes to present himself and, and he, he likes he might it. ask and for I'm a little not, bit of that yeah <laughs> yeah which is fine right but, and, and, but he explains himself and if you dig a little bit deeper you can understand why he does a lot of the things that he does um anyway i kind of go off track but what i was saying is those guys are extremely helpful he's answered every question that i've asked him i had some questions for ryan banta one time and he was like coach here's my number just give me a call Got on the phone. We talked for two, two, two and a half hours. You know, when we started lifting, lifting mass specific force, um, I had read the Underground Secrets book from Barry Ross, and mm-hmm. then I, you know, just started googling more about it. And there's not really very many people doing it. Um, you know, uh, JT came up with his article and things like that. I reached out to him. He same thing. You know, he's like, Coach, just give me a call and we'll talk about it um so yeah you know I, I was a basketball coach for a lot of times and it was hard to get any kind of high level or high profile name to even consider talking to you right um and, and these guys are extremely helpful and, and basketball is a different beast you know it's it's two games a week and there's practice and i get it um but yeah twitter's been I've just, it's just been this past year. I've always had social media and I've had a Twitter, but it was what, kind of one of those things that I never really looked at. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I really got it going whenever we started um, our speed and power training because there was a lot of like-minded people that I wanted to see. And you, you can get on there daily and see, get new ideas. And um, some of them work well and some of them don't. Um, the biggest problem I have with Twitter is I ask a lot of questions um, and they answer correctly with I, it depends, which is the right, right answer. Right. But but in my situation, that's so hard, you know, because that I don't I don't have the 
I, I don't have the ability to, in my setup, to have all these different routes I can go and time to spend with the athletes and facilities to use and equipment. I've had to, and that was another reason why Feed the Cats is appealing to me because it's an essentialist approach, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the way I have to be. I'm forced to be that way. Right. So I'll ask a lot of black and white questions and, and some, a lot of the people just can't answer them, you know what I mean? Because it depends too much and I get it. Um, but if I have 40 minutes with a group of kids three times a week, um, I have to get down to the root of what's going to be the best thing for your buck. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, we can't, we can't do, we can't do, uh, max velocity acceleration tempo, intensive speed, endurance, extensive. We just, we can't. So we have to take a step back and say, okay, here's the time we have. Here's the athletes that we have. What are the essentials that we have to be good at? Um, and, and that's the biggest problem I run into. That's why I seek out and I've found some, some guys, every time I find one, we're going to book it, man. Uh, some smaller school people on Twitter, you can find them. And then more specifically females, because when it comes to speed and power of females and males, it's, there's, it's quite a bit different. There's a big difference there. I think the understanding of these are my limitations and then ask the question and you do a good job of that prefacing, Hey, I have a smaller school. I've limited time. How do I do this? And then it allows the other person to give advice more pertinent to you. You know, it depends is a, is a great answer because it's usually correct. But if you can help someone out by just giving them the foundation of, hey, this is my situation. This is how much time I have. These are my own kids. These are my own coaches I have. Like, how can I do this best? I think it helps because too often there's a broad question with a broad answer and it really doesn't help anyone. And when you're asking questions, you are helping every other smaller school coach. You are helping every other coach who works with females. You're not helping every coach out there that isn't helpful because not every coach is going to have the same benefits from answers that, that are going to help you the most. I think you do a good job of that. And I think all of us can learn from that. When we ask questions, ask a question specific to your situation so you can get an answer specific to your situation. Yeah, I agree. And I, most of the time, the better answers eventually come, um, in, in a private message situation or a phone call. That's why a couple of those guys, I talked to Ryan Banta one night for or one evening for a little while. Um, and he probably does it, you know, cause his, you think about his system, it's, it's crazy. Right. You know, it's all over the place and very individualistic. And that's, that's impressive to me. That's impressive. It's super impressive, but it's impossible. So when I talked to him, I was like, here's what we have. Here's the time that we have. Okay, if you were in this situation, how would you handle it? And usually when you get them in that kind of scenario, you get right. good answers from them. Um, so, yeah. You've mentioned Feed the Cats. You mentioned Mass Specific Force. How have you blended those two in your program uh, in order for athletes to get better at their sport? Yeah. Um, well, they they kind of they go with each other. You know, Mass Specific Force is is – is a 
I'm trying to think of the right terminology. It's low dose, I guess, but it's just high intent. The same word that we were using earlier. Um, we, we went straight, our lower body lifts, um, starting basketball season all the way through now, um, has been the the hex bar deadlift Mm -hmm. and we're 85% and above. Um, and we're set up in a system where they're, they're constantly challenging their one rep max. Um, when we started it, it was based on body weight and we worked up 50%. I don't I'd have to pull our sheets 50% and then 60% mm-hmm. and 70. Eventually, you know, while we were very attentive to how they're lifting and making sure the proper form and everything. Um, but whenever they got to a lift that they couldn't get or it stalled, then that would be their one rep max. And we started basing everything off that, but you know, we get, we get 85% or up. And I've told them at the very beginning, if you have that, you have the freedom if you're feeling well or we're up pushing 95% or hundred percent of your one rep max, um, you have the, the freedom to challenge your one rep max and go up from there. And it's just, it's evolving. It's not on a, like everybody's maxing today or, or tomorrow. It's, you always have the freedom, um, to challenge your max. Um, and, and we've, I've applied that, in a lot of we run an offense in basketball that's a four out dribble drive one in um, and it's based on rotations what i'm saying is that i think when if you can find areas to give your athletes freedom where they can own their time right and they that that goes a long ways um you know for instance in the basketball with our four out we teach rotations we we have a set it's four out we have two slots two corners and we have somebody that plays around the basket. Now I can get more specific, but we're just going to say around the basket. And no matter where we go, we just teach our kids how would, how they're going to rotate. If we get a baseline drive, the other four rotate to certain spots. So you always know where your teammates are at. Um, but they, they have the freedom just to play basketball. You know, they're not, they don't have to memorize screens and we do have some plays, you know, but like for the most part that we run the offense that we run most of the time that they have the freedom to play and a lot of times right in the middle of a game or in a practice one of the girls will come over and say coach can I and before they before they even ask the question I'm like yes you can which means that they're thinking you know they're owning they're owning their position um and their time and they're thinking and they're being creative um anyways that's kind of a spinoff of of mass specific force how they have a little bit of freedom to challenge their max but yeah we we blend the two because it's we go all lower body and uh it's hex bar deadlift we're 85 percent or better our, our, our percentages and reps change the higher that we go up you know it's i don't think we ever went to five reps four is probably the highest um we want our set to be done in less than about 10 11 12 13 seconds total um because we're, we're looking at the using the the energy system that's the most explosive but depletes the fastest. Um, and we're targeting those type two B or type three, whatever the correct terminology is, uh, muscle fibers, the ones that are the performers, the ones that, that are the most explosive that recruit when you're sprinting, when you're lifting 85% or more. Um, Cause we, our, our goal is, uh, and I think we talked about it previous is we, we prioritize speed and power as a core component of our program, 
back in August. Um, and that was just one of the steps is to, to target the most explosive muscle fibers that we can. And we use, just use the concentric part of the lift and we don't use the eccentric part. Um, and I, not to say that eccentric is bad because I don't think it is, but I don't feel like with the amount of activities that we're trying to do here and what we're asking out of the kids, if we do a whole lot of eccentric lifting, they're gonna be sore a lot and then it's gonna burn a day or two days. Um, and I just, in our setup, I don't wanna do that. I always wanna try to be moving forward without any steps backwards. Is it gonna happen sometimes? Of course. Um, and we're trying to get that reflexive eccentric, like absorbing force, but generating force right back up. That little eccentric motion right there is really what we're targeting. Um, because if you think about us to me, just be, if you're practical and you're questioning the why and you're looking at sports, it's most sports are just a game of, of races all over the place. Like you're trying to get to point A to point B mm, yeah, better than somebody else. Um, in basketball and volleyball, you jump, but like you think about playing man, man defense or covering an area in a press or um, getting to a volleyball that's been, you know, the, maybe your libero got the ball up, but you still have to run down there and chase it down and bring it back into play. Football is nothing but a game of races. You know, you pitch the ball and you want to get to the end zone faster than somebody can get to you. Um, so we prioritized it and we wanted to try to gear everything towards making us more explosive and more and, and faster with max velocity sprinting. Um, so, that, and, and that's one of the steps. We just, we, we took the approach of with our lower body lifts, um, we wanted to do the, the hex bar deadlift um, and we wanted to, to follow the mass specific force like protocol or program. Um, now, if we're in volleyball season, um, the second portion of our weight room will target, you know, arm decelerators or shoulder decelerators, mm -hmm. you know, something that's specific to what's going on. Um, and the biggest question you're always going to get is why do you use the hex bar deadlift versus the back squat? And I, it's just personal preference. I, I think I like pulling things. Most of the things that we do in sport is pulling things away from the earth or going away from the earth, you know, jumping, um, sprinting. Um, but the, one of the biggest reasons I like it is I can send kids on a workout not worried about them loading a bunch of weight on their back. You know what I mean? Um, and, and they, they don't need a spotter with the hex bar deadlift. If you, if exactly. you, if you research the muscles involved, they're very similar squat, but I do like in hex bar, how it adds, you know, I, I think you're recruiting your arms and your shoulders a little bit more because you had in your grip, because you have to hold the bar up, you know, and you ever get in trouble on a hex bar deadlift, you just drop it. <laughs> I'm a huge safety guy. And I've seen six-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old kids who are like running around the gym. They'll run over the hex bar. They'll pick it up quick. And you'll yell, you know, don't do that. Like we're not, we're not here for that, but it's so easy to do. And it's, 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 I think just the safety and maybe it's one out of a thousand times, uh, 
someone on the, you're doing a back squat and you fail and you get, you know, crunched under the weight, but that risk is just too much for me. It with the hex bar, you drop it, you get out of there and you're fine. And I think in this era of overuse injuries and all of the back pain and things like that, let's decrease the risk of injury as much as we can possible in the weight room. And for some people, they feel like the risk reward of doing the back squat is okay. And that's fine with me. But if you're working with me, I would much rather prefer doing the hex bar, getting the arms involved and not having to rely on a spotter to keep you safe and getting just as much, if not more production out of the workout by working on that force and pushing yourself away from the ground, like you mentioned. Yeah. I'm the same thing. And, and if you, if you're, if you're considering your, your phosphagen pool and it depletes in roughly anywhere from seven to 11, 12 seconds, um, the total amount of time it takes to do a squat set is obviously going to exceed that. Um, so I'm not on here to say back squat is bad because I don't think it is. And I agree. You're, right. You're in an ecosystem where you teach it well um, and the kids are bought in and then there's nothing wrong with it. I just have a, I can always answer. I, I can always answer why we do what we do. And I, 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 starting this year, I even told my athletes that I said, every sport that I coach or that I'm a part of um, you have the, opportunity ask me why we're doing what we're doing and if i can't answer why then you, you don't have to do it you know and i've heard some other coaches that do the same thing and then so i think that's important i'm a why guy some people hate why i i i, I tell my kids to ask why i want them to know why we do and this is strength and conditioning speed power basketball volleyball anything i want them to know why one of the reasons, well, it's just it's who I am, but like, that's big. You look at a year like this year and you never know who or when your coach or your, the situation is going to get shut down to the COVID protocol mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and the kids that I coach, I would not be nervous at all not being there. <laughs> I would hate it because I like to go to the, I like to be there with them during games. And I'm, you know, I coach my tail off during the, the week in practice, but competition day is their day. I'll offer some advice and I'll tweak situations in basketball. You know, I'll be prepared for that kind of stuff. If there's 30 seconds left and we're down five or we're up five. I'll be ready for that. Um, but it's their day, you know? Um, so yeah, that's, I don't want to go on the record saying back squat is bad and, that you have to do hex bar because a lot of people, when you start talking about things like this, that's how they take it. And that's not what it is. I just think it fits what we're trying to do the best. Um, and safety is also, cause you can get hurt doing hex bar deadlift. They exactly. don't do it. I mean, you, they start lifting their hips pop up before anything else. And yeah, you're going to be dealing with a back and it's going to set them back. And when we first started, here and there, there was a couple of tweaks um, and we had to adjust things and dial it back for some of them. Uh, but that's just part of the process, I think. One issue in high schoolers is the consistency of being in the weight room or working out. We, we, we talked about the weight room, but we're talking about strength training. We're talking about plyometrics. We're talking about speed work. 
how many weeks throughout the year are your athletes working out? And if that is consistent, how have you achieved that? Uh, we work out from week one all throughout the year. I mean, and we usually try to target two days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be rough sometimes. Um, when you get early season in anything, we don't have a super high regard to what's going on versus games. Now that my mindset has changed a little bit, where we want our kids to perform, even in practice every day, um, it's it it's maybe changed a little bit, but we're we're just working with so little time that we have to just get it all in. And then whenever it gets to the championship portion of that season, whatever it is, the playoffs, if you're in a team sport or this, you know, during track, that's right now, um, you, you have to start tapering. But, yeah, we work out two to three times a week from week one. Um, we take a little time off during the summer and we dial it back because we ask so much kids. We ask so much of kids during the year and they're stretched right. so thin. Mm-hmm. You know, I just want them to go and be away and be with their families. And in all honesty, that's me wanting to do that, too. <laughs> but uh, then we'll start, you know, after a couple of weeks off, then we'll we'll offer a day or two um, where we start working them out. And it's on a voluntary basis. The 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 difference now is that we've offered a speed and power training or we've kind of shifted towards that with a lot of max velocity sprinting and things like that is what do we do with that during the summer now? And I don't have an answer, but, um, cause that's, that's pretty low dose. It's not taxing, you know, right. and the kids actually kind of enjoy it. Um, so I don't know, we're kind of on limbo right there. And it's probably, I, I like to get, I like to commute, communicate with my kids, these things and ask them. I, I I'm just one of those coaches that takes, the what they feel and, and their opinion, and I like to listen to it. Um, some coaches are not like that. Doesn't mean they're going to get what they want, but I right. do like to take into consideration how they feel and why they feel that way. And so we'll probably get together and, and talk because I would love to continue to build speed throughout the summer. It may not be quite as much as we did during the year, but um, I think it could pay massive dividends throughout the summer. Texas heat is something that we have to consider too, because it's hot. I forget about that. You can't just go out at, you know, one o'clock and, and do your workout. You got to take in to consideration all factors. And we have the reverse power out problem in the winter where it's it, like, it's impossible to get outside. And if you don't have access to an indoor track or a dome or an area to run, it makes it quite complicated to work on speed um, and, and max velocity at that rate. Um, but we all have our different challenges and this last year has been one of the most challenging for coaches, I think, in, of all time, what is one thing that you've learned in this last year or that you've changed in your program that has really benefited you and your athletes? I, that's a good question. I just think it's perspective. Mm-hmm. I think that, I think that it taught me just because let's back up a little bit. I'm an introvert. I'm not an extrovert. I'm a very introverted person. Um, so I tell people all the time that I, 
I love people, but I don't like people, (laughs) (laughs) which is the truth. But I might steal that from you. Yeah, no, I love people deeply, but I don't like people. (laughs) (laughs) But it's the year off has kind of changed my perspective on that. Just people in general. I, I didn't realize how much that you enjoy just being around your team and around people and just having a common goal, a, com- a competitive common goal and bringing like a bunch of different people that are raised different, tall, short, wide, skinny, and having a common competitive goal and trying to achieve it together. Um, so I, I think that's what this past year has, has taught me is just how to appreciate people better because that doesn't come natural for me (laughs) and and that's just me being transparent and honest um i'm not a small talk person now i can hop on a podcast like this and talk about things that are deep to me and this is easy but to sit next to somebody and have small talk you know it's i just don't like it um but it's it's helped me appreciate people a lot Mm -hmm. you know somebody that that doesn't just like I said, that loves people, but don't like people. <laughs> so, yeah. And just to, to be ready, you know, we had a, we had a meeting at the very beginning of the year. You know, I was just telling the kids that you need to stay ready. You need to be flexible. You need to be adaptable um, because we never know what's going to happen. And I think if you can, obviously it was for obvious reasons now, but that's, that needs to be always. Um, and that translates everything we do here. I try to teach life through sports and I think that translates life is so easy for me to imitate through sports. You know, I I just think that's the easiest way you're going to have to deal with. Just like I said, you're going to, when you get into the real world, you're going to have to, you're going to have to work for a boss that you don't maybe like or agree with, or you're going to have to work alongside coworkers that you, don't agree with or will raise different than you, but you still have to, you know, you have to keep the common goal and you have to, you have to do your job. And I, I just think if you, I've always said that teaching kids to be the great people winning is a byproduct of that. I didn't realize that, you know, when I was a young coach, I was, it was, what can we do to win? What can we do to win? And I, you know, and, but as I've grown into my coaching career, it's shifted um, to more of a relational aspect, um, and, and teaching kids just to be good people and how to be empathetic and how to be sensitive to other people and how to be responsible and how to do all the things right, all things right. And then winning is a byproduct of that, in my opinion. Um, I'm a little bit critical of myself, but I don't think that I'm a great coach or a great situational coach, maybe in, in team sports. Um, but we've had a, a ton of success. Um, and I th- think it's because I can teach people to be good people. Um, and they respect that. Um, and I was looking the other day, and this is amazing, but here on the girls' side that I coach on, um, through all the core team sports that we have here, We've won 18 district championships in a row, and that's between cross country, basketball, volleyball, softball, and track. 18 in a row. Wow. 
yeah and i it's not it's not because we have great coaches okay people may beg to differ but we do do things right we do have great coaches i don't want to say that we don't have great coaches but i don't think that's the reason that we have that kind of success to right. be honest because there's great coaches everywhere but that doesn't mean right. everywhere is having the byproduct of winning right so that yeah do you have do you have a specific time in your personal life where you overcame adversity or an obstacle because of the lessons that you learned through sport <laughs> yeah i mean when i was i'm an extremely competitive person let's back up when i was when i was in high school i was a part of a program that that wasn't very successful um, and I'm an extremely competitive person. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one of the reasons that I'm in the business now of what I'm doing. I didn't plan on it. When I got into college, I wanted to go into kinesiology, but I wanted to go into the corporate route because you're young and that's where the money's at, you know, cardiac rehab or uh, the larger corporate gyms. Mm -hmm. um, but I could tell all along that that's, that's not like what my heart was telling me to do. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't want to be a teacher and a coach because I saw how much they got paid. <laughs> it's not very much, but it's not about, you know, the, the money, obviously. Um, but yeah, we weren't very good. And I just didn't sports wise. I had a hard time going out like that. I didn't want to go out like that. And I just thought, I thought about my experiences and what could I do just as a human or as a coach that could help others in that same exact scenario mm -hmm. uh, and experience success, but also experience how to, how to be a person. I and mean, if you, you, you can turn the TV on right now and watch for five minutes and see that we just need to be better people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it doesn't take the genius to see that. And then I started coaching at Abbott and, um, as extremely competitive and, and high strong as I am, we weren't very good and almost got out of it. Um, I was, I was coaching to win. Um, we weren't very talented. Um, I got hired on as a basketball coach and a couple of my first couple of years we won three, three games in two seasons. <laughs> oh, wow. Three total. Yeah. And I was coming home just telling my wife, I don't, I don't think I can do this. I just, it's, it's just too hard. I'm not, I'm not the type that can just brush it off. And, but that's whenever, yeah, you asked that question. And it was that probably that moment that I was like, you know what, I'm going to take a step back. We're going to simplify everything. I'm going to coach and teach to my gut and my whole, my heart telling me, cause when you're young, you go to coaching school and you hear all these things and you see all these good coaches and it all sounds good. And, um, and you want to apply all these things and you kind of get out of, you don't have an identity. You're just, you're just floating around blowing in the wind. Um, and in a small school, I was thrown right into head coaching position. That's probably one of the biggest differences. You know, I didn't get to really learn underneath a good one. Mm -hmm. So it was trial and error. And then after that year, I was the basketball coach. Uh, we were like 500. We were, I don't know, 12 and 12 or something like that. And we tied for a playoff spot. And the top three go and we tied. So we had a playoff of that third spot and we lost that, that game. And the oh. kids were, just, yeah. And the kids were just absolutely devastated. Right. Um, but every since then, 
everything's changed. So we haven't looked back. We've been in the basketball team has been, uh, we've been in the top 25, I think ever since, um, playoff team ever since next year, we made the playoffs. We haven't missed it since, um, we've won district championship the last four years in a row. We've done a lot of good things. Um, but yeah, it was probably that moment. If, if you want to consider that adversity, it's not really adversity. It's just kind of getting over myself a little bit and, and creating an identity um, and, you know, grabbing on to that identity and going with it. Do you hate losing more than you love winning? Good question. Do I hate losing? It's real close. <laughs> I'm a pessimist. <laughs> I'm a pessimistic person. Um, so it's even when good things are happening, my mind's are either automatically shifting to the next thing that needs to be taken care of, or it's, it dwells sometimes on what we could have done better. Mm -hmm. um, but, and that's something I'm extremely aware of. And I've tried to make strides in the last three or four or five years. And I have, and it's helping things. Um, but the way I'm built is I'm just extremely pessimistic and, and competitive. Um, so I, I, I would say that's, it's, I don't know that I can answer that. It's, it's really you, close. I'll phrase it a different way. Do you remember the losses more than the wins? Yes. I think a lot of coaches do, and I don't always think it's a negative mindset, but I do think because part of losing is figuring out what can we do better? And that's where growth and opportunity and change happens. And I think that is, and you've, you've done that in your career. You went a couple of years, you weren't winning a lot of games and now you've had a lot of success because you've grown from that. And I, I think, and we talked about this earlier when uh, middle school athletes have it too easy when they get into high school, they're going to be a rude awakening. If you don't have challenges early in your career, whether you're an athlete or a coach, it's going to be a rude awakening at some point. If you can learn from those challenges, overcome them, put systems in place to not judge yourself on wins and losses and, and more on growth and opportunity and change, we're all going to be better off for it. Yeah, I agree. And that's something that I'm working on. Um, I, I love winning. I just, I have a, I have a hard time expressing myself like I should when we win. That's probably a good way to put it. Sure. I, I really enjoy winning, um, but people probably don't realize it as much as they really need to. I um, mean, that, that's something my wife tells me all the time. She keeps it. She's the perfect balance for a, a coach in a successful program because she's, I'll get home from a game or a track meet or something and she'll let me whatever, go and, and spill it out there and she'll, she'll empathize a little bit. And then when the energy is just right, she comes in with the reality, right? Uh, whether it's, you know, during those seasons that we won one game, one season and two games, the next in basketball. And here is a coach, um, hard headed as I am and competitive as I am, I'm, I'm thinking we're right on the cusp of just getting over the hill or we're right there and she was like matt y'all are just not very good <laughs> I mean, that's all she just lays it on you you're just not very and she was right. telling the truth 
and right. she's like that you know she 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 listens and she has some empathy um but she she's real she knows right when the energy is right to come in and tell me what the reality really is or what she really feels the reality is and she was an athlete and a good one so she's not she's she's in tune and a coach as well i've been in tune with how sports work and how it works and so it's that's important i think that's important that you have people in your corner like that um to kind of they're not just going to tell you you're doing a good job all the time they're going to be real with you um but yeah she's 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 good with that so no matter how much we say it the spouse of a coach whether it's a husband or wife or a girlfriend or boyfriend never gets enough credit for everything that they do and you need someone like that i think to be successful because it's really challenging to do it on your own to go through the ups and downs to be confident you're doing the right things to know you're having a great impact um, when you're going through a losing season, are you, are you, who's going to be there to keep you balanced, keep you, you know, sane. And I think, uh, we just need to always give credit to those spouse. I always want to have, I have a lot of coaches on this podcast. I always kind of want to have their spouse on and get like the real story of like, what are they like? You know, how are they as a coach and stuff? But that's amazing that you have that support system to get you through not only the downs, but to keep you level-headed through the ups as well. For sure. And she's, she's bluntly honest sometimes. She'll tell me straight when you need to, hey, you need to be at home more. <laughs> and I think that's important mm-hmm. too because coaches are always going to be trying to overwork and overdo things. And that's just the nature of a coach. But it's super important that you have that good backbone and somebody that tells you what's up whenever it needs to be told. Um, and she'll do that. She tells me the truth. Um, she believes in what I do and she, she's supportive. Um, but she also tells me the, re- the reality whenever it needs, whenever it needs to be told. And she also tells me when I need to be home and not up there. <laughs> There's a great tweet the other day. I forget who said it. Um, it said, you are replaceable at your job and you are not replaceable at your home. And I just thought that was such yeah. a great point that we need to remind ourselves that no matter how much success we've had, no matter how much, passion we have for a sport or an athlete or a career or a business like home has to come first and you got to take care and whoever is in your home whether it's just you or it's a ton of people or if it's your dog or your cat you got to take care of your home because you're not replaceable there and and the great coaches understand that and follow through on that yeah 100 percent agree and i saw that tweet i may have retweeted it i know i liked it it is true and it'll slap you in the face sometimes but it's true i appreciate you matt thank you so much for taking time for jumping on the podcast i look forward following you on social media and keep doing the great work that you're doing down in texas um have a good rest of your season i wish the best of luck to you and your athletes and take care for sure thanks for having me on it was i was pumped